Ooh, we're rolling. 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 Um, okay, usually I start by saying, hi, I'm Danielle. This is the show is called Female Intern. I'm just here to have one-on-one conversations with uh, really nice people. Wow. Um, and today my guest is Salma Hindi. Hi, Salma. Hi. Yeah, clap. Everybody clap. <laughs> <laughs> I just clap for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Did you catch that? Good. Yes. <laughs> Women need to uplift ourselves. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited to be here in this mood lighting. Yeah, there is our traditional mood lighting here. Um, Salma, you are someone I met very recently. Yes. We were both on the same show at the Tiny Cupboard. Yes. Um, I'd never seen you perform before. Are you a recent... Have you come to immigrant? New York? Are you a recent immigrant to I New York am, City? I am. First of all, um, I, so I'm from Toronto and I just moved here in January. And I just want to say that... America doesn't even call us immigrants. Know. You know what they do call us? <laughs> no. Aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what like That's legally, what you are. That's I'm what a, you are. Yeah, I'm an alien and the visa I'm on is alien with <laughs> extraordinary ability. It literally says that. Yes. That is psychotic. Isn't that so weird? Why do we do that? I don't know. But anyways, it, it sounds like I'm, it actually makes me sound a lot cooler than so I am. Welcome Salma Hindi, <laughs> alien with extraordinary abilities. Thank you so much. We are lucky to have an alien like you here on the pod, here in this great nation. I'm so excited. Oh my God. So, okay. I don't know you very well. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's going to listen to this, but would you like to just contextualize me and like, who you are. Like, yeah. Where'd you come from? How'd you decide to move here? Yeah. Um, okay. So originally from a suburb of Toronto called Mississauga, born and raised there. My parents are originally Egyptian and they moved, I think, in like the mid 70s. They were basically Canada was like begging people to immigrate. <laughs> they were like just giving out student visas left, right and center. That is so different from America. Well, well yeah, in the yeah. 70s, maybe not in the 70s. We were like, come, we'll totally give you papers. Yeah, and we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> now they're like, just kidding. Yeah. Just now kidding. it's the opposite. Now everyone's like. Like America especially is like trying their hardest to keep everyone out. And also people are like, I don't even know if I want to go there. <laughs> exactly. That's like, that's literally the struggle. Yeah. Um. But then, so my family, um, I guess they were like kind of chill when they were in Egypt. And then till this day, like we don't know really what the inciting incident was for my dad. For my mom, I know like her, her sister died suddenly. Okay. Um, she like had appendicitis and she was sick on a Wednesday and by Sunday she was dead and she left behind her three-year-old daughter yeah it was just crazy so my mom turned to religion for like some sort of comfort was she had she grown up religious in Egypt no like um her family their families I think were more like just culturally religious like sure it's a majority Muslim country Mm -hmm. so but they were really chill back then like for example, nobody in Egypt wore the hijab in the 70s. Um, and they were all in like bikinis, whatever in their pictures. Like they they had they copied a lot from the French. Yeah. And then um my dad's family was way less religious. Like, I don't know, his dad used to drink and which is like kind of right. like a big deal there. And yeah, like it's not kosher. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's not haram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so um, so they were, but I think they kind of had this like thing where they were like we want to get religious we want to get religious and then they just like kind of never did until they moved to Canada did your parents move together did they meet in Egypt yeah they met they they kind of they knew each other when they were kids like I think my uh my dad was neighbors with like 
my mom's relatives or something. Okay. But then their like love story started in university when he was her TA in engineering. Ooh, yeah. spicy. <laughs> I know. And technically they had a love marriage because like his dad didn't approve because my mom was from like a lower class. Ooh. And um, so my dad was like, ah, fuck you. Like I'm going to marry her or whatever. Anyways, I'm just mentioning these themes because they come up later in yeah. me, yeah. you know? And uh, so he, so yeah, so they just like, the, uh, so they got married there. Then my dad moved in 75 and then my mom came the year after in 76. Okay. And they they were like kind of like starting to dabble in religion. My mom wore the hijab, but like like a slutty version, like a <laughs> I didn't know version. there was a slutty version. Wait, <laughs> yeah, what's, her what's slutty the slutty bangs version? were showing. If okay. your bangs are showing, basically any or your neck is showing. So she wore it like a turban because okay. you're supposed to cover it. Like everything, right, right? Um. So she, so she was wearing like a little bit of a slutty oh my scarf, and my dad was starting to grow a beard. But they still listened to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And my dad actually named my sister, my oldest sister, Angie, after a Rolling Stone song. Wow, mm-hmm. wow. And then I don't know what happened. Like a year or two later, they just became like military, like extremist religious uh, people, like. No more birthdays, no more music, no more talking to our next door neighbors, no public school, no, um, we weren't even allowed to have like a minimum wage job, like a retail job, because that meant that we would be influenced by the whites. Wow. Yeah. So we Wait, no birthdays? Isn't that like a- No birthdays. Jehovah's Witness? I didn't know that. Is that a, is that a Muslim thing? It's like for really extreme Muslims, they their argument is that- Nothing should be celebrated unless it's like a religious holiday okay. and anything that's added is an innovation. I remember just my dad like hating anything innovative. <laughs> and because of that, he Sorry. really. <laughs> no, it's funny, not crazy. But it's like so wild. And be- yeah, because when you say it, you're like. Yeah, it's like, yeah, to be anti innovation. Like, wait a second. Yeah. Huh? Like anti creativity, anti like yeah. mindfulness, I would say. Yeah, he. That's why he also hated the Sufi sect of Muslims because they're very like mystical. I was going to spiritual. Ask if that, okay. He hates that. There used to be like an annual conference. I think this still, it's still happening. That happened in Toronto during Christmas every year where like 20,000 people would come out to like this reviving Islamic spirit conference. Yeah. And yeah, I was like not allowed to go because like the Sufi influence was really strong there. Wow. Yeah. How how does your how do your parents identify religiously? They identify as Salafi, which is this uh, it's a, like a sect of Sunni. So the the two major sects are like Sunni and Shia. Took in yeah. Middle Eastern <laughs> studies, okay. <laughs> I totally remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's more like I don't know, clo- I guess Salafism is like closer to like Wahhabism and stuff. Yeah. So it's like they're a lot more like they're all about like the rules and the rituals and that's so interesting. Yeah, not much room for interpretation. Um, so that was like the household I grew up in. And I I believed everything. Like I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm gonna take full ownership of this. I was like, if you want me to be a good Muslim, I'm gonna be the best Muslim. Dude, we're soul sisters. Really? Keep, keep talking. I'll I'll like say more later, but this is so this is incredible. Please keep talking. <laughs> okay, yeah, I wanna know. Yeah. Um, okay, so so then I was like, okay, I'll be the best Muslim ever. I like literally did everything that a good Muslim would do. Like I memorized Quran like mm-hmm. regularly. I uh, prayed five times a day all the time. No one had to ever tell me. Yeah. Um, I like I I fasted all the time. I I even fasted like Mondays and Thursdays, which was kind of like extra. The prophet used to do it, so Whoa. I was like, I'm just gonna copy. Um, and then I would like 
towards maybe when I was like in my doing my master's or maybe like my last year of my undergrad, I started to like pray at night, like mm. wake up at like the last third of the night. That's supposed wow. to be like the best time. And honestly, it was really great because um everything is kind of silenced at that point and it's yeah, literally it's just quiet. you and your subconscious it's quite peaceful yeah so like the access to your inner thoughts is so much quicker and and then i don't know i would like pray a lot for things that i wanted yeah um and because of that it would kind of like help me just like really be honest with my thoughts and stuff but um eventually like and we can get to this later i got to a place where i was just so resentful of my framework of God, because I felt like it was such an evaluative transactional force. Yeah. And I just like resented it because I was subconsciously raised on this belief system that it's like the more you sacrifice, the more you suffer, the bigger the reward you're going to get. And the way I interpreted it, because like all I ever wanted in my life was like a boyfriend, for example, the way I interpreted it was, OK, if I abstain, if I don't go to Shisha with with my friends, if I don't ever enter a car where there's a boy if i don't talk to boys on like aim we had like msn but like you know if i don't talk to if i don't have any boys on my facebook if i like never show anyone my hair if i never ever like touch a guy don't like not even shake his hand yeah yeah, if i do all these things then Mm -hmm. i'm like prince charming is gonna fall out of the sky and he's gonna like the the more the more i abstain the more abs he's gonna have like Uh you know what i mean like (laughs) I just, I think it's like this correlation. Yeah, you were like, I put the abs and abstain. Exactly. <laughs> Which is one of the stupidest things I've ever said. No, that's actually perfect. It's like true. <laughs> but that's really what was happening. I have a, okay, I have um, two like just technical detail questions, but then uh, also more questions. Um, yeah. What did you study in undergrad and get a master's in? Uh, engineering, biomedical engineering. Oh, yeah. Okay. And to, to my dad, but that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to get into med school. Okay. And I spent so many years trying. And I say this because um, every time I would try to study for the MCAT, mm-hmm. and I took it like maybe four or five times. Um, Shit. Because in 2015, so they, rough. yeah, they changed the format completely. It became like an eight hour exam okay. as opposed to like three hours. It was crazy. That is. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not humane. No, it's literally not it's humane. It's stupid. Okay. It's crazy. And so I like would study my ass every time I would like start to think about the MCAT. I'm not even joking. I would have like a bodily reaction. Yeah. To it. I would start binge no, eating. I would like my body was just like rejecting it. Like mm-hmm. I just I hated it so much and I would force myself to do it. And it was hell. And I like lost so many summers off just studying. Yeah. And then like all the doors were shut closed. Like never any application, any test or you know, whatever. Everything I ever did to prepare, it just was never good enough. And then I like uh, like after accepting that okay this is probably not gonna happen i i just like breathed in the direction of comedy and like every door ever opened i was like okay if you're like thinking if you're a spiritual person and you're looking for signs from god or a higher power isn't this proof you know but like my dad doesn't want to hear that (laughs) i was gonna ask if like are your what were you encouraged to like grow up to become in terms of like occupation like were your parents like yay education or like okay that was the that was the one very progressive thing about my dad he has a lot of elements of progressiveness which is really interesting and then there's other elements that are like 
crazy regressive. Yeah. But one thing that was very important to him was education for all of us. Um, it's like the Egyptian part of him. Like Egyptians, I think, take education, especially if you're like from a higher class, they take education like to be the main the thing. The main thing. Yeah. And Egyptians especially, they're like default, be an engineer, and then <laughs> after that, figure out what you want to do. Yeah. So he wanted me to be like he was like. When I wanted to go to med school, I was like, I'll study life science or I'll study health science or whatever. And he's like, no, those are fake. He's like, go into engineering. And then um, from there, apply to med school. And if you don't get in, worst case, you're a failure and you're an engineer. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Parents are so, they know what to say. Yeah. So oh my God. <laughs> he wanted that or he wanted me, because he wanted me to be a doctor so I can have like the prestige and. And also because, like, isn't it funny that, like, people, so many parents, like, people are, tri like, uh, kind of socialized to want to become doctors for prestige, like, not to take yes. care of people. No, 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 <laughs> It's no, no, no. amazing. It's literally prestige. Actually, my sister sent me an article around that time where I was, like, like, it was when I was just about to decide if I should, like, try again for med for, like, the millionth time or if I yeah. should let go. And it was this article that said that, like, millennials basically are leaning on medicine or a career in medicine as a safety blanket as a crutch because it gives you job it's like guarantees job stability money and prestige and people are too scared to take risks outside of it they just want this like yeah you know determined life or whatever for mm -hmm. them so that really got me thinking and then I had a friend also who was kind of calling me out at the time and I was like oh shit I think they're right um but yeah like it's yeah prestige is huge my dad literally okay because this is like a whole other thing but like by far the most abusive person I've ever like encountered in my life is my brother-in-law who is a doctor and wow. he for some reason my dad gave him so much power in our family growing up and literally my dad would come to me like a sidebar with me and be like if you get into med school and you become a doctor then you would outrank him and then you can basically tell him to like fuck off wow and I was like what the hell why don't you just tell him to fuck yeah. off without any credentials yeah you could literally you're the just dad be, yeah li you're you know what I mean like this is a patriarchal family clearly like you have power yeah what it's so it's like, dude, aren't you at the top anyway what What's but he's on? he keeps like relinqu he keeps relinquishing his control and giving it to yeah. him yeah. because of the med school thing and I was like okay or That's we could so all wild. just like not ascribe to this stupid status system Dumb, yeah. and treat every human being with equal level of respect yeah. doesn't that's a foreign concept to my arab family they do not understand this yeah it's it's like guys we're cho we're choosing to to like abide by this we exactly. do not have to exactly exactly <laughs> it just doesn't have to be like that and that's kind of i mean you could say the same thing about like they're just their belief system they're very yeah. extreme religious belief system you know? so were you in religious school until like university yes so but and they were cool with like going to just like just because it's like a education prestige like it's yeah fi that's fine exactly yeah so I went to Islamic school my whole life and they actually opened an Islamic school and they still run and operate it your parents yes wow and so my mom was my principal in elementary and middle school wow. which was hell yeah that sounds that sounds like a lot it was too much like everyone would just be like principal's daughter principal's daughter and the, oh she's like getting good marks because she's principal's daughter whatever Ugh. and then I I remember like writing this journal entry in, in like my eighth grade just being like I can't wait until I like go to high school next year and like no one knows that I'm a principal's daughter and I'm anonymous and I, I'm a flying on the radar and I can whatever all these things yeah. and then my English teacher I was like I'm so fucking lonely I hate this place and then my English teacher's like good job and I was like I 
needed help. <laughs> that was a this cry is for a help. true. This is an explicit cry for help. Wow. Exactly. But so well written. Exactly. She's like, good job on wow. <laughs> expressing wow. your sadness. Wow. That's so. That's so much. Where do you fall in like the sibling? Like I'm the youngest of five. Okay. Mm-hmm. What? What's what? What's that like? Um. Okay. I do believe that a lot of types of privilege exist. Okay. I believe white privilege exists, male privilege. Um. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that. <laughs> You're later. like. Mm. But by far the biggest privilege I've seen is like being loved by both your parents' privilege. Okay. <laughs> Those people just soar in life. It's really. They don't even realize. It's unreal. It's crazy. But then I did benefit from youngest child privilege. Yeah. Because my parents just kind of like got tired. And I think they realized all the mistakes they made with the older ones. So they kind of, they're like accepting things a lot more now. But with that being said, like my siblings never really ever broke out. I was going to ask, like, are you the only sibling who's now... Yes. Yeah. In in like Jewish Orthodox community, we say like off the derech. Derech means okay. like the way, like the path. Right. So if you kind of like leave, you're just, you're off the derech. So you're the only one in your family who's off the derech. Yeah. My second um, oldest sister, so their, their life was like hell. I don't even, like I try not to think about it too much because I'm like, I, I like, they, they were two girls. They were the firstborns basically. And my dad was like the most strict with them, like the amount of trauma that they went through, Oof. just crazy. And I don't even know the half of it because like they don't even want to talk about it ever. And um, but then they also were two girls together, so they couldn't go out or do anything. They were literally imprisoned. Wow. I was I was born and right above me is a is my brother. So because he's a boy, I could use him to go out all the time. I was like, yeah. I have my chaperone with me. Can't say anything. And uh, he, I always bossed him around. Like till this day, kind of, I still kind of yeah. do. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it's hard to break out of like the dynamic that yeah. you're so used to. But yeah. but yeah, like so he w- and he just always listened to me and always took it and whatever. So because of that, I had a way bigger social life than them. Like I even got to travel and stuff. They never got to do any of that. Damn. So for them. Did they like, did you ever feel like resentment from them? Oh, absolutely. But it doesn't show up in like, it's not just like, oh, they're resentful, whatever. It's like my oldest sister just like actively would constantly like spy on me and then go and tattletale to my parents Mm. and always cause a fight. Like I remember the first concert I ever went to in like 2014 she found out about it because I like tweeted something at the main singer. How how old were you at your first concert? Mm, I would have been like maybe 22, 23 or something. Yeah. And it was like the scariest experience of my life because no. I was having a lot of fun. Like I thought they were, but the whole, like the anxiety was like crippling. I just kept checking my phone because my parents were calling me like crazy and texting yeah. me like crazy because obviously she like alerted them and went and checked that the concert was happening and where it was. And so they were just calling me like crazy and whatever. And then I wore yeah. the wrong shoes for like standing for six hours. You know oh, what I mean? Man. Just yeah. like stuff like yeah. that. Um, so that was like, I don't know. I just remember like the anxiety from my mom, like messaging me, for example, when I was in my last year of undergrad, we have like this final and en- year engineering project. Mm-hmm. And we spend like the whole year working on it. People, people like launch, those projects into startups afterwards like it's it's a pretty big deal and so we were working on it like nonstop. and on our last day there we stayed till like maybe 2 3 a.m in the lab 
And my mom starts to text it like exactly every day, like clockwork at 10 p.m. She'll start texting me, be like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then I'll start fighting back with her and she'll be like, what kind of a girl's out on the streets like till this late of an hour? No one will ever want to be you. With whore. You. you whore, literally. And then I'll have to, I'll fight back and be like, and I'm so in it, like, mom, whatever anyone I want is not going to care about. <laughs> like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, no, like really like, like validating almost like her position, like really exactly. trying to like respond in good faith. Yes, exactly. yes, I'm familiar with. <laughs> and then my anxiety is just exploded. Exploding. And then it's like, I can't even be productive for the rest of the night. I, and I'm ugh, like, not happy. Like, yeah. Either way, I'm losing. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So then I just learned, I learned like maybe a year or so after that, that just ignore it. Just literally ignore it. So, so how did you, I mean, I'm curious to hear like what your what your relationship to religion is like right now Mm -hmm. and your parents. But also I'm curious about like the break. Right. Because. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I would say there's probably like three major moments in my life that made me shift. And the first moment was when I was like, um, okay, so my my second oldest sister, I brought her up earlier. She actually ran away from home at age 19 to marry someone that my family didn't approve of. And I think my dad was threatening to take her out of university at the time. Like, he's like, we're going to ship you to Egypt to get married or something. So she was terrified. So she was like, okay, by the end of the semester, like, I need to run away. And so she, like, found this dude and she, like, convinced him basically to, like, run away with her. And then my dad, oh my God, it was just so dramatic. They cut her off for like maybe eight years. So I didn't know her growing up. I was seven at the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I didn't know her growing up. So yeah. So like I I went from like literally looking up at her to looking down at her because I had grown. Yeah. It was like crazy. So yeah, one day just randomly, my my mom was like, hey, you guys remember your sister? Okay, well, she's coming to dinner. And so they just took her back. my, my, My oldest brother really like... Put the heat on my family. Yeah, he was like, you need to reconcile with her. And there's this saying of the prophet that says, you will not smell the fragrance of heaven if you cut your blood ties. Mm. So he was like to my dad, like, you're an imam and you're not even following these rules. Yeah. So um, he like really helped the reconciliation and everything. And But the people who opposed it the most were my oldest sister and her my really abusive brother-in-law. Yeah. So her husband. Unfortunately don't outrank now. Yeah, I don't outrank him because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Salma. I know. You could have you think of what you could have been. Okay. So they they were really like, don't let this don't let her back in. Don't let her back in. They loved the new power that they had in the family because like she was out and my parents were vulnerable. And so they just were like, don't let her back in. And I had never witnessed oppression and injustice to the degree that I saw, like it didn't even, it wasn't even happening to me. It was happening to her, but like, yeah. I was shocked. The, like the anxiety I had was insane. I had to, I started journaling around that time. Cause yeah. I was like, I can't handle this. Like it's so much. Um, so wait, so when you were, how old were you when they were going to be like taking her, like reconciling? I would have been 15. Okay. But then it's weird. Cause they reconciled for a little bit, but they only reconciled with her. They were like, we want nothing to do with your husband. And then a couple <sighs> years later, okay. She was like, okay, well, my kids are asking questions and this is kind of not fair. And so she tried to get them to reconcile him. And then everything, all hell broke loose. And it was just like literally the worst. There's this saying in Arabic um, that says, which means he hit me and he cried. And then he beat me to the finish line and he complained about me. So it's like 
this person playing master victim. And that's literally yeah. what my oldest sister and her husband were doing. They were like always like attacking, but then they would like cry victim all the time. Anyway, so that really kind of like broke my belief in my family. Like I was like, this is not a just system yeah. in the way that I was led to believe that yeah. it was. Yeah. And like, what else are they like awful about you know what I mean yeah so that was kind of like the first shift and then the second shift was a few years later when I was 26 I fell in love for the first time and I got into my first and like only ever relationship with this dude who he was Egyptian Muslim and he was like a fob like he had just come to to Canada like three or four years before Mm -hmm. and I guess like he wasn't a, a subconscious recreation of my dynamic with my parents mm. and I didn't recognize it obviously at the time but how, how so like what how how is that dynamic reflective like just that he is someone to comment on and it's very subtle and it's very a very slow build and burn on how this occurs but yeah. to like comment on my clothes for example mm-hmm. or comment on the types of friends that I have or critique comedy. I remember the first um, subtle, but unequivocal controllingness. Yes. And like controllingness, is that a word? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And in the beginning, I think he knew that I was looking for someone open-minded and flexible and progressive. And so he presented that way. And I kind of wanted him to present that way because I wanted him to be what I wanted him to be. Yeah, you want to believe that that's what he is. Exactly. So he like, I just remember him writing me like this really big paragraph telling me about how it's so amazing that I'm doing comedy and I'm like, you know, like representing Muslims and shattering stereotypes that people have about Muslims, blah, blah, blah. And then by the end of our relationship, which was only like a year, a little less than a year, he, he compared, he said... Um, the ethical level of comedy is equivalent to if he were to work for a weapon company selling weapons to Israel. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I was like, one of them is literally killing people and the other one is killing people with laughter. What? Like, I would love if I killed someone at my my job, you know? (laughs) I would kill to kill. (laughs) Oh my God, that... That is such a like kind of devastating insecurity coming from him. But I'm like, before you do all the math and figure out like that, that's what that is. It's I imagine that was crushing. Yeah, because I'm put in a situation and this is the similarity and this is the recreation to my dad and my parents. I'm put in a situation where I have to defend who I am. Yeah. And I'm put in a situation where my behavior is seen as my whole identity. And also, um, it's and also he's still thinking about how is this going to be perceived by the general public. It's all about how do things mm-hmm. appear, how do they look, and not how they feel. So it's all he in his mind he was probably thinking about like what are people going to say about me having a wife who's like yeah. going up and talking about getting dick pics on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be like, whoa, you have no control over this like heathen, yeah. basically. Yeah. So he was thinking about that, and that's how my dad thinks. Yeah. No, totally. My uh, I told my mom I was starting a podcast, and she was like. Oh no! It's it's not going to be any of your your stupid dro- gross jokes, right? And I was like, it probably is, but it's like not for you. And she's she's like so uncomfortable, like right. so like what are people going to say? People, you know. And I, it's so sad. It's like I don't know. Worry about what your own shit will embarrass you about, or right. like things. Stuff's only embarrassing when you let it be embarrassing. But also like 
you can't control me. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. And also, like, do you find me to be an embarrassing person? Like, uh, that's the part that really hurts me. Like, you is, believe in what you're saying. So exactly. it's like, why are you? Yeah. And, and just like, it just, to me, it's like, you don't see who I am. Like, you don't yeah. see my spirit. No. You don't enjoy me. You like, and I remember at a moment in therapy last year where I like broke down crying and my therapist, right before that session, my therapist was telling me how she doesn't cry anymore and she's able to like separate herself from her clients. But then she was crying oh actual tears. Like we were both crying so much, but it was yeah. like, it was a moment where I was talking to my younger self in high school and I was kind of like, forgiving her for trusting my abusive brother-in-law yeah. so much and i was telling her like that. he he represented adventure because my family was so boring we never went out we never did anything then my sister gets married to this dude he comes and he introduces us to like golfing he introduces us to to cottaging and boating things that nobody in our community had ever done and this just, is doctor mm -hmm. and just like general adventure and like going out and stuff but mm -hmm. then we would go out with him and it would be hell and you, you know i'd come back crying and whatever but like <sighs> It, I just had to like kind of forgive myself for like being inclined to go because the FOMO would have killed me more than the yeah. abuse, I think, at the, that point. That's you did what you like. It, it makes sense that you did what you did. Yeah. But yeah, that's a lot of like inner child forgiveness. It was a lot of inner child like, yeah, back and forth. Yeah. And in that conversation, I, I just like said to her, like, I was like, it's so sad that the only people who like don't enjoy you in this world are the two people who brought you in it. You know, Salma, this is like, I, oh my God, you're like speaking to me. This is so, it's so painful. It is. It's so painful. It's like, I'm, I am a clown and it's beautiful. Exactly. And like, I want you to. But okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you feel like your, your family, your parents, and I don't know much about you. Yeah, like, yeah, I want to yeah. know more. Yeah. But do you feel like they, like, do they enjoy having you around if they can ever get out of like the whole, what are people going to think and all that stuff? Do they enjoy your company, like, when you hang out with them? I think so. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also a very specific, um, like, scenario. When, I'm, right. that when I spend time with them, it's very, like, I'm coming to visit. It's for a few hours. No one else is around. Like, right. um, it's a very contained and sort of safe interaction. Right. In that, like, no one sees how they're behaving. And no one else can see me, you know, like being just a clown and like you know right. shitting on my family heritage and whatever right, right, um right. so but I don't know right because like we I have a strange I, I connect with my mom a lot in in like a humor in a humorous way like she's really funny she's like always doing bits but like right. we have opposite opinions about everything right she's like let's go to the APAC conference this year and I'm right. like we don't do that anymore me right, or you know right. um and yet we like vibe and do bits and it's we it's like a strange thing right my dad and I do not communicate through humor well at all mm. um and he's sort of like just trying to hold on to like oh, my my firstborn daughter but right. does not see like doesn't really see me doesn't he I don't even know if he has like has the tools or the vocabulary to like right. know me how but um so, but sometimes I don't know sometimes I'm like yeah do you like me <laughs> like right. do you yeah, like this is who I am. Like I go on, I go on, I like going on stage. I like being a dual. Like I like being all these things that I was not raised to do. Right. And it's, I'm not trying to slap you in the face. I'm just trying to do me. Yeah. Which is like very I'm, difficult to, to convey. Yeah. I'm just trying to shine. Yeah. Like I remember uh, they, in, in the, like the last couple of years, my, my dad's like 
side of the family, like this this second cousin we have from his side of the family came over and she took a liking to me right away and she was like followed me on Instagram and whatever. And then she like we were at dinner once and <clears throat> I was kind of in that like, OK, got to dull myself, got to shrink mm-hmm. myself because I'm in this family environment, whatever. Yeah. And she looks at me and she's like, Selma, I love your spirit. And it like shook me. Like, I don't know why, but it scared me like in the moment to hear that because and it was actually really painful because I was like, that's that's exactly what my parents hate. You know, like I actually think that they hate my spirit, which is so crushing and so sad. Yeah. And it's like it's almost like that can't be it. Like, it can't be that you hate it. Like, because you made me. Right. This is who I am. And like, it it must be like. I, I want to believe that it's like a, a some 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 kind of like fear of like right. this person is like like you're fearless like you're willing to take risks that like frighten them or just seem so I don't know that they like can't relate to mm-hmm. and rather than just like accept it, it's yeah you're not under their thumb anymore you're not under their control and that's that's very scary but it's like right. oh. <laughs> please relinquish control. That doesn't mean I don't like that. I'm going to like leave you forever that I don't respect what you do. But well, yeah, what is true intimacy? Like I have a question for them, you know, like yeah. you can control me forever, but that's not actual. That's not a real the, relationship. Yeah, It's not authentic and it's not intimate. And I want an intimate relationship in all the, the relationships in my life that matter. Yeah. You know? Like I wonder, you know, I, I, I imagine parents, if they heard like that their child was like, I'm not sure if my parents like me or love me or like being around me, like that that would be like, what? Of course we do. But it's not, of course, like everything you say is like, maybe don't do that joke. Maybe can you stop being so crazy? (laughs) Like, why? Why don't you do this anymore? Like, it's such a, you know, it's a slap in the face to your to your dead grandparents or whatever. And it's like, what? (sighs) Yeah, I think a big part of it for sure, like you're saying is. That they, like, it must trigger something in them that they've rejected in their own selves. Yeah, it and, has to be. Yeah, maybe their own caretakers, like, because mm-hmm. I'm sure we're we're emulating, like, we are genetic extensions of them, right? So I'm sure we're, like, emulating something that is genetically in them as well that mm-hmm. they've, like, shut down yeah. or they've had a caretaker or adult tell them that this is bad and and kind of punish them or reprimand them for it. Yeah. So they're just, like, subconsciously or consciously continuing that cycle. Totally. That's I. That is a very like succinct way of like uh, capturing like my. I have like a theory. My I grew up in like a modern Orthodox Jewish community, which mm-hmm. is like this strange like brand of Orthodoxy where very rule based, rather strict, but we don't look like Hasidish Jews. Like we don't. Right. We we blend in with the Gentiles. <laughs> like right, right, we're just right. sort of wearing normal clothes. Like going to Broadway shows, going to university, sort of looking a little bit like we blend in, but really like remaining quite insular, marrying each other, eating very specific foods. You know, it's still like a very rigid kind of way of life, but, and, you know, very patriarchal. And my, my mom, she, she and my dad got divorced. Pretty unusual. It's, It's like not that unusual anymore, but like none of my close friends, like 
everyone's parents were married, whether they were good or bad marriages is, is irrelevant. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. my mom got divorced and she always had this like feminist edge where she was like, do you want to learn how to read the Torah for your bat mitzvah? Which is like mm. Orthodox girls did not do that. I think one other girl in my community did that. Right. Um, you had to like go to a different synagogue, like find somewhere else to do it because the rabbi at our synagogue was like, that's a fad. Girls don't really need to learn how to do right, that. Right, right, right. And I was like very inspired by my mom that she had this like orthodox feminist thing. And then I just like took it to the next level where right, I'm just right. like literally fuck all of this. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is your fault. Like, you know that there's something wrong with this patriarchal environment that you're in. But like you, you are, you remain in it. It's like the fear of like fully letting go. Yeah. That it's, that's kind of like the steps of it. It's like this, the, you know, baseline is like you blindly follow and listen to everything. Then after that, it's like, you create your own kind of like sub environment or ecosystem of the religion within the religion yeah. that works for you. Yeah, and then like, after well, these that, loopholes exactly. make it okay for women to leave this part of the service. Exactly. So I'll go to this synagogue where women are half almost equal. And it's like, exactly. okay, if you're happy with that, like. Exactly. And a lot of people are. A lot of yeah. people stay in that medium. They, yeah. they find it to be really great. And, I, and I, I understand. And but I just, I know that I'm completely uncomfortable with it and right. I think like that is a thing that makes her you know there's there's something there where maybe she like knows that I'm like bye see ya right and maybe part of her wants to leave but maybe it doesn't I, I don't know but clearly yeah. something's it's it's rubbing something you for know sure, inside. for sure it's definitely triggering something you know what's so interesting okay so like my I talked to like a family therapist for like five minutes one time like I did a couple of sessions with her and my mom did a couple of sessions all separate mm-hmm and my dad did, like, two sessions with her, and then he, like, pulled the trigger on the whole thing. But, like, basically, um, my, my, uh, the therapist basically told me, she's like, your parents look at you in a way where they're, like, and I had never heard this ever from anyone before, in a way where they're, like, trying to, like, study and or almost, like, observe and see if the different decisions you're making in your life are going to lead to better outcomes or, like, a better quality of life. And they're watching you do it because they're too afraid to, like, take those risks themselves. And if you succeed, then they can follow it. They'll have an example. And if you fail, they'll chalk it up to you being, like, the youngest child who doesn't know any better or whatever. So, yeah, I found that to be really interesting. I'm like, okay, so they're they're kind of cowards. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. kind of they're just scared and they're watching mm-hmm. from afar. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when did you... I, did you ever have to like come out to your family as like, I mean, obviously you're not wearing the hijab anymore. Like that's a very visible, like, you know, break from like what you were raised to do. How, right. what was that transition like? Yeah. So is it still unfolding? It's still, know. it's definitely still unfolding. Yeah. Cause it's been, it's really recent. So, um, how recent I took it off exactly a year ago now. Wow, mm. it's fresh. It is pretty fresh, yeah. Especially since I wore it for 22 years. So oh my God. we have like, you know, the, the numbers are. Yeah, <laughs> most of your life. Exactly, you know? most of my life. I wore it when I was seven, yeah. So like literally my whole adult life and a significant part of my childhood. But yeah, basically, um, so after that like relationship fell apart, mm-hmm. my my belief in like my community and like everything that I thought mattered like really shifted yeah and then so that at that point i kind of had this like hermit approach to religion where it's like i have my own belief in my own god and like you know i still follow like everything but it's between me and that and like i don't care about anyone else kind of yeah did you have i'm curious if you had like close friends or like a like a peer kind of community that was also like 
religiously active and like how did they feel about I don't know like did you feel like seen by them so they were very supportive all my friends I had so many friends and I lost most of them I still have a couple but um I had so many friends and they were they're all very religious and they're all part of the community and it's just like like Ramadan, for example, every single night you're going to someone else's house yeah. and like you're having dinner with someone, whatever. We all well, then we go to the mosque after and spend all night there. And mm-hmm. like it was a very like social yeah. experience in in that the Muslim community growing up. But then um and then and then towards like I would say like the last few years, we would I would go to like Monday evening um like gatherings on Zoom or in person where we would like read a book, a religious book, and then like kind of discuss it and contextualize it to our life experiences. And I found it like really fun and great and everything. But then towards the end, so I would say around like this time, no, January of last year, that's when I started to, um, like my therapist has been trying to touch God for like a few years. And I was like, we're not touching God. Hmm. We're not touching God. Like like anything but that, that, that I know this is for sure true. And then last year in January, I was like, okay, fine. Like we can get into it. Um, and basically for me, it was like this, this concept of God being like an external evaluative force was so um, disempowering. It was like, made me feel so helpless. Yeah. Made me feel like nothing's in my control. Yeah. And like, I don't have any power. And, you know, like even the prayers, I would say like, there's this one prayer that says, and they're, they're beautiful prayers, but I didn't realize that it was actually really affecting me. Like one prayer was like, oh God, like I'm very, I'm helpless. Like I don't have any power and I need you with me at all time, even like for a blink of an eye. Like I can't, like you can't leave me for one second, even a blink of an eye. And yeah, like those, that type of narrative of like, and then a lot of times in Islam, like this concept of humility is presented to us in a weird way as well. It's like, you're nothing. You're made of dirt. You're human. Um, you need you need to literally be on the floor, like shrink your like you know, yeah. bring yourself down because you're nothing without God's majesty and power. And then when like I started to think about the concept of like divinity as being an internal force mm-hmm. within me, like mm-hmm. God is in me. I mm-hmm. am divine. Then things started to really change. Like my prayers started to change because I I would be like I have. I already have the power in me. I just need to maybe sharpen the, my intuition a little bit. Yeah. And you can like, you you have permission then to love yourself. It's easier to love God when it's like, oh, God's in me. Right. So then I'm lovable. Like exactly. I'm worthy. Exactly. I'm not just like a piece of shit. Exactly. You know, it's. And that concept of self-worth, like, oh my God, m- me and all my siblings, like we don't have it. We, we, and it manifests in yeah. different ways in our lives. And it's. It always comes down to that, like yeah. that you, you know, just like that you have to prove your worth or this conditional love basically makes us think that we have to prove our worth. And it's like, no, 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 you are worthy just by virtue of being yeah, human. You exist. Exactly. You're enough. Exactly. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I fought that concept so hard in therapy for so many years. I was like, yeah. I refuse. I refuse. It's, yeah. I, I don't know why it sort of reminds me, um. Every I went to Orthodox schools, and so every morning we'd have like prayer, a prayer service, and the beginning of the service starts with like um, this like sequence of blessings. Okay. And um, boys, like there's a partition. Boys and girls sit on different sides, and a boy like leads, you know, obviously. Um, and they say all these blessings, and a lot of them are like just kind of like 
it's meant to be like, thank you, God, for making me this way and that way. Like, thank you for right. giving me eyesight. And meanwhile, like, what if you don't have eyesight? Right. Like a lot of that's like a lot of these sort of weird like ableist. Oh, yeah. Vibes. I was gonna say, if we want to talk about ableism and religion, that's a whole other thing. It's oh, crazy how God. like how ableist it is. It's just such internal ableism that like you don't even realize it till you like pause for a second and you're like, oh, my God, that's actually really crazy and problematic. It's yeah. There's all these blessings like thank you for like making my legs work. And it's like, wait, not everyone's got legs. Right, right, right. Like, hello, newsflash. And then one of the blessings like it differs for boys and girls. The boys say, um, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, the, and the girls say, thank you, God, for making me according to your will. Whoa. And like, that's just what every fucking day. Right. That's what you say. And I remember I had one guy friend in high school who was like, yeah, I don't I don't say that anymore. Right. And I felt so like, oh, wow, what a right, right, right. what a magical guy. Like, what a brave man. You, Oh, my God. You could just not say it. Right. What the fuck is all, everyone else's problem? Why are you guys still saying this yeah. bullshit? This is this is so this is so hurtful. Right. It's it's crazy. And everyone's like, no, and just like not a big deal. Everyone's just like memorized all the prayers. It's like comes out like muscle memory. And right. it's like the must the like erasure of like or not maybe not erasure, but just like diminishment of right. of who what I am, of my dumb anatomy. Like right. it's just like pounding in inferiority and like worthlessness and like you got to prove yourself and it's like what is this right. how am i supposed to love myself it's, it's such a con because like women are actually so fucking powerful like we literally contain a life force within us like we have a womb like we can literally create another life if we wanted to like men don't have that power you know my, I I work as a childbirth doula now. Oh I was gosh. like fully going to be a lawyer, like went to law school. I was like, this is my Jewish destiny. And then right. I was like, had a nervous breakdown. I was like, I literally can't do this. Mm. And now I like do this work that I, I don't know that I'll have children, but I have so, I have to have so much respect for a person with a body who right. can grow another life and birth it into the world. Like, that is power. Like right. drones, fuck you. Yeah. Oh, I, I got a big dick and I can lift heavy discs of iron. Yeah. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Who gives a shit? Even if you don't have kids, by the way, you still have that power. Of course. And you can harness it. Of course. No, I, I recently like um had had an IUD removed. Mm -hmm. I started seeing a midwife actually for my like clinical reproductive health care instead of seeing a like gynecologist. Right. Transformative. Can't recommend it enough. Really? Um, And yeah, I'm in a phase of like, I want to experience my period again like I want right. to experience menstruation and like get in touch with the cycle like I, I had such debilitating cramps and I just right. I resented my body as like being this like stupid it betrays me it hates me it just makes right. me in this like paralyzing pain every month like I hate this body I hate being in it right. and so let me get an IUD and just like erase my period completely right. and now since I started doing this work I'm like no my body is fucking awesome it's amazing it's incredible I, it's I don't want to like shut it down I want to yeah. like learn how to care for it better exactly learn how to read it better it's literally its own being and like like it's done so much for us. We've literally put it through the ringer and we've like disconnected from it so much. And that is like, I feel like for me now, when I think of divinity and spirituality and religion, like to me, that's like going into my body. That's going inwards. I've been doing yoga now every day for like the last like four or five months, I would say. Wow. It's just like 
the world of a difference between how I breathe and, yeah. and like how I stand even. Yeah. The like leaning into like an embodied experience is has been pretty life changing. Mm. Um, I don't know if you felt this about like at least the version of Islam that you were raised with, but I was raised in like such a cerebral culture. So academic. I just felt like right. a walking brain. And like, I don't know if you've ever seen Jews dance like at, you know, Jewish parties. It's like you just stand in a circle and like shuffle along. Right, like right, we're right. just not movement is like not not part of the culture. And so and a, like a, a deep felt appreciation for my body and everything it can do is just like not there. Right. Oh my God. I got to get you into belly dancing. Oh my God. And my please. sister. Please. So, that's like the most Egyptian thing about me. Oh my God. It's like my obsession with belly dancing. But it's amazing because and it's, it's really interesting because it's such a big part of the culture. Like culturally, especially in Egypt, belly dancing is huge. And they'll always bring like a belly dancer to the wedding or wow. whatever to some event or something and they're like actual celebrities they're yeah. the belly dancers um and they're in film for sure like that's where they started out and uh but then it's like no one wants their daughter or their sister or like anyone to be a belly dancer or anything near it so yeah. what ends up what ended up happening is all the famous celebrity belly dancers now and they're really good in egypt are actually ukrainian russian um, Eastern European, and I was like, "Excuse me, they're taking our jobs. They're literally, <laughs> they're literally taking our jobs." But then, because they are protected under the morality rights of their own countries, so yeah. they won't get like arrested. Yeah. Oh um, my god, for, that's like, so twisted. It's insane. But like, but they have like everyone is everyone in Egypt is consuming them and like hiring them and whatever. So yeah. it's crazy. But um, is that is that a do you? Do you belly dance? Yes. What, I, what's that like? What's that like in your life? How? Yeah. So I think like the way it started was my my sisters for sure. My oldest sister, she loves it so much. And this is like some of the trauma I was talking about earlier. They first of all, the weddings that they would go to growing up was always segregated. Women in one hall, yes. men in another hall. Yeah. Always. Now it's like it's very hard to find a segregated wedding. Now it's like always mixed. Mm. But um, so because of that, the women could take their hijabs off and they could wear whatever they wanted. But there's uh, still rules like you you can't you have to cover till your knees. Mm -hmm. You can't like wear anything higher than that. Um, and then but then my sister would dance and then my mom would go and tell on her to my dad and be like she was dancing and she was being a whore basically in a slut and like oh ruining her God. reputation in front of all the women. And then she would just get in trouble. And like, yeah, it was. And then so then she would literally be like, well, I'm going to get in trouble, so I might as well just dance all night long. And then she would just do that. Hell and yeah. and I'm I'm pretty sure it was like physical abuse. Like yeah. they don't really talk about it. But like, yeah. Anyways, um, so she yeah. So she kind of has like this like almost like trauma bond to dancing. Like She always wants to dance it like with her. It's if you want to have a heart to heart with that sister, you need to twerk upside down against the wall with her. Oh you can't God. actually use words. Wow. She's not just not have like emotional capacity in any way to like wow. actually talk to you. You got to dance with her. You got to dance with her. That's so she's incredible. like a Zumba instructor now, whatever. So yeah, but she does all of this like women only, women sure. only. But if she was living her truth, she would be a celebrity belly dancer in Egypt. Absolutely. She would do it. She like she yeah. would just thrive in that environment. She loves yeah. the attention. She loves like um, dancing and and just kind of like you know contorting her body and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, but she's always been like kind of center of attention in her own world. So it was actually me and my other sister 
who like started to take belly dancing lessons over the last couple of years and started to kind of like find and follow belly dancers online yeah. and just you know always send videos to each other oh and like god. try different techniques and oh stuff god, please send me videos i will i will oh my god. they're so good there's some crazy ones oh my god i li- i cannot wait that is so exciting <laughs> fuck okay <Yeah. laughs> so can you tell me so it sounds like you got into comedy when you were still like quite an observe like quite yes. religious yes how how oh my god good question um Okay, so I would have been like starting. Also, did you like? Did you have like TV growing up? Were you yeah, to watch we TV? we had we had TV, but we didn't have cable. Okay, but then we could only watch TV with my oldest brother. Mm. Um, I remember Sunday nights was like Malcolm in the Middle, <laughs> Simpsons, and then like Family Guy. Okay. I, and so then and then South Park after, but like I never stayed up for South Park. I was like, this is too dark and yeah, wild yeah, yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, but then um, yeah, so then they those so, little nuggets are too scary. Yeah, literally. Stuff that came out of their mouth. I was like, what are they saying? It's crazy. (laughs) But anyway, so we so I would watch that with them like every week. I and then we would watch like TVO. I watched um Arthur growing up. Okay. That was like my go-to. Love it. That kid's been through more life experiences than I have at eight at age eight. At eight. Okay. (laughs) Arthur's lived a life. (laughs) Truly, truly. Yeah. Um, so it was so I but I remember in high school watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. And SNL. Yeah. And being like, I fucking love this and I feel like I could do it. I was like, I feel like I could do it. I feel like I would be good at it. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know that this is sketch comedy or stand-up. Like I sure. didn't know anything like that. It's just like what? People being funny. Exactly. How do I do it? Exactly. But then I didn't think like realistically, I didn't think it was possible for me because I was yeah. like, they're all white and I I don't look that it's way. It's just like it's also so like how do you even do it? Like, right. it's not a thing it's, that it's clear you can like go to school for. It's just, it's, there's so much like mystique and opacity. It just doesn't feel like real. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then Mindy Kaling was like earth shattering for me, like in life changing in high school because I was like, oh my God, she's doing it and she doesn't look like any of them. And this is amazing. But I still didn't fully relate to her because I felt like her role in the Mindy Project, for example, her her uh, was overly sexualized. And I was like, oh, this is what they'll always do. They'll yeah, try and find yeah. someone. Either you fit the beauty standard or if you don't, then they have to overcompensate with like really making it sexual. Yeah. And that's against my values. So still no room for me. And then <clears throat> I think like there was this uh, show in that aired in Canada on CBC, which is like our one of two only networks there. Um, called Little Mosque on the Prairie. And it was kind of like a parody of like Little House on the Prairie. But mm-hmm. it was like, it ran for six seasons and it was about like this Muslim community in the prairies in Canada. And um, the the creator of that show, my sister was married to her cousin at the time. Whoa. And so she like came over. I would have been like 24 at this time and I had just started my master's. So she came over to my sister's house and then I asked her, I was like, oh, I have this dream that like either I'll become like a trauma surgeon and like go help in like Gaza basically yeah or I'll like become like the next Muslim Mindy killing of Hollywood like something like that and she was like um I think you should stick to engineering (gasps) and I was like whoa embarrassing okay and then I was like okay well I don't have to devastating it was so crushing but then I was like okay yeah like what did you expect and then I was kind of like well now I don't have to impress her so I could just be myself for the rest of the evening so rest of the evening I, me and, and my sister's so funny too. So me and my sister start telling her this, my most recent story it had just happened like a week before where my dad took me to meet this suitor with him. And this suitor 
like my dad chaperoned me on this date and mm-hmm. the suitor basically told me I'm not allowed to wear any makeup outside of the house. And he actually was engaged before and he broke it off because she wore makeup. <laughs> and I was like, how did you come to this country? And he was like, oh, I was working for a company and then they sent me for training and I moved here. I was like, what's the company called? He was like, oh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Sephora. Oh! Okay, I don't even know what to do crazy, with that. Crazy, crazy. Anyways, oh it, after that day, I was like, my dad's just trying to bring me to meet men that he wants to marry. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, no, no. My Your dad's dad was, like, what? He's hot. Literally, my dad was like, he's perfect. <laughs> it was crazy. And oh so I, we're telling God. her this story and she's just listening, listening, listen, listening. Then the next day, <clears throat> she was like, you need to do comedy. And I was like, oh my God, are you going to cast me in a movie? Like, how does that work? I literally didn't know anything. And she's like, no, you should do stand up because like you can establish your own independent voice. And then from there, you'll get other opportunities. And I was so upset. I was like, I wouldn't wish stand up upon my enemy. Like, why would I do that? You know, it's that's terrifying. Like going up on stage and being like, I have the audacity. Like, I can make you laugh. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I resisted it for like months and she came back into town and then another month. Like, and my biggest thing was like. Is the conservative guy I have a crush on, is he going to like me back if I start comedy? It was like the stupidest, like, reason. But in the moment, it seemed like everything. Totally. And then, like, a few months later, she comes back and she's like, she's like, you know what your problem is? She's like, you have no grit. You have talent, but you don't have any grit. And, like, people like you are not going to get far. She's like, people like me, we don't have that much talent, but we have a lot of grit that, like, really (laughs) propels us forward. And I was like, it's not true. Like, I work really hard, but uh, like, I needed that tough love. Like, I yeah. really responded to that kind of tough love because that's how, like, my sister, my oldest sister would talk to me, for example. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I just, yeah, started it and I kept it hidden from my parents in the beginning. And, um, oh my God, my dad found out, like, and like, basically, I started doing it regularly, like, March of 2017. So he found out around that time. And, it was like a nightmare. Like, like, yeah, he he was so upset. And I started getting like anxiety attacks almost because he yeah. was really anxious. And he was trying to tell me to stop it. And oh, my God. And then I like I ran away from him. But I would just cling on to like other dad figures. Yeah. Any men, basically. Mm-hmm. I would cling on to them and search for answers. And like that Muslim community that I was in, they were very supportive of comedy. They would come to like That's all so my shows. Yeah. But then like. Now they've kind of like, you know, disappeared. And um, like when I took the hijab off, it was just kind of like the biggest betrayal for them. It was just kind of like we lost another one. Yeah. My top four comments on Instagram when I posted it last year was like, uh, we lost another one, like another big loss for the hijab t- community. Yeah. Um, it was. Hijab. Yeah. It was like, oh, you just got famous with the hijab and now you you're giving it up. I was like, first of all, famous. Oh, my God. You think I'm famous? <laughs> yeah, literally. I was like, oh, my, oh my God. God you're yay. Famous. I said that. <laughs> And then someone was like, no, I don't think you're famous. I was like, okay, so which one? Which one is it? And then there was one that was like, oh, her, like you don't even look that good without it. And then there was one that was like, um, you went from zero to 100. Like you went from like covering up fully to like basically being naked. Like they're like, how did you just do that? So those were like the top four. So you broke comments. people's brains. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. What was the, like, I don't know. Can you tell me about like the you, that decision to like yeah. take it off? It was like the scariest decision of my life. It sound, I can't even. It was like, okay, so I watched this video. Um, 
in Arabic, actually, by this Egyptian YouTuber. His Do you name... speak? Did you guys speak Arabic at home? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But my siblings are actually really bad at it, and they're it's just it's a confidence thing. It's a yeah. confidence thing. Like you gotta be, you gotta like really, and they don't consume as much. Um, Egyptian content as I do. Okay. I'm, I consume a lot. And I just actually got back from Egypt like a couple of months ago. And that way I'm like now up to date on like the latest songs. Sure. And like, you know what I mean? Like where everyone yeah. goes and hangs and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but they're like, they're very like distant from it. And I would okay. say. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so so I like, is this this um, video in Arabic and he's, he's just talking about the origin of the hijab. Mm-hmm. And he was like saying how it predates Islam, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, also talking about the reason why it was like introduced initially was like to sep- to separate and distinguish between slaves and free women mm. so that like slaves were not allowed to cover so that men could like see what they looked like and like, in the rape slave them market whatever, exactly because yeah. they would fucking rape their slaves mm-hmm. and um and then he and then he talks about the history of it and then he talks about how it spread in Egypt in the 80s uh, by the Muslim Brotherhood at the same time as it spread in Iran and then, and it's true, like nobody ever wore it in the 70s, like my mom and all her pictures. And then he talks also about like how the uh, Azhar, which is kind of Azhar um, University and, and Institute, which is kind of like our version of the Vatican, I guess. That's where they issue like the most latest like Islamic. Okay. Um, I don't know, concepts or whatever. Decrees, I don't know. Yeah, decrees, literally. <laughs> and so he was kind of documenting how Islam or that the Al-Sarab would change their perspective based on um, how society is swinging. And like modern Judaism does that a lot as well. And the Vatican does that, right? Yeah. So like, for example... They're, it's, they're political organizations exactly. trying to control large populations. And that, after watching the video, that was my conclusion. I was like, oh my God, you mean to tell me religion is political? Yeah. I don't know why it took me like 30 years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. And he basically said like, so... Initially, and he and he showed like how, for example, like they would talk about slavery, and then after the UN abolished it, Islam was like, "Oh, we've always been against slavery." And then how they talked about music, music was very was haram and it wasn't allowed. And then now they've changed their opinions on it. They're like, actually, it's really good for the soul and it like makes you relax and whatever. And he's like, "What if like the day after you die, they say, oh, actually, hijab's not mandatory?" He's like, "Are you gonna live your life?" According to these random men, like making their decisions, or are you just gonna live your life? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit! <laughs> and like it had oh to my God. Be, literally, and it had to be like my own people, like someone who looks like. By the way, he's like seeking asylum in like Germany or something right now. Oh my God. Ironically, because he, um, like Egypt literally yeah he's decrees him as like just, an atheist yeah or he, he's a threat he's, he's literally a threat he's truly a threat right. he's so, enlightening people exactly exactly <laughs> or, you know his whatever exactly yeah. so he like. Um, and yeah, it had to be my one of my own people to tell me because if a white person is like, take your hijab off, I'm like, well, I'm going to wear it even harder, France. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that video, wow. after that, I was like, okay. And especially because like all the foundational parts <clears throat> were shifting for me. I was like, all right, I have to take it off. It's not in alignment with me anymore. And I think my therapist had also pointed out that I had developed a trauma bond with it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, just being like a target of racism my whole life. It's like, well, now I have to wear it for the cause. And, for you know, yeah. like the martyr in me is like, yeah. I have to wear it even more. And it's like, okay, are you going to live your life for this? You know, what you think you have to appear like or whatever to spite some white man? Or is it just to live for yourself? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, um, 
I studied, so it's pretty common in the like neighborhood community where I'm from to like after high school do like a gap year, and they like your parents like send you off to like a seminary in somewhere in in Israel, usually in Jerusalem, right? Um, to just like study Jewish texts and Jewish law. So that's what I did. Um, oh, wow! And I went to this school, this seminary that like brands itself as kind of like a progressive. Orthodox women's school like we let you read all the books like whereas some of the other schools you can only read some of them right and we're learning all these rules and in orthodoxy married Jewish women are supposed to cover their hair right. Um, it's considered nakedness that only your husband is allowed to see. Right. I'm not going to go into the nuance of it because I don't want to I don't want to honor it. So I'm just going to generalize right now. But I remember like asking all my teachers like this is fucked. Um, why don't we wear hijabs? Like, it doesn't Islam do it better? Like, if the hair's naked, like, why aren't we covering it? It's right. just naked once a man buys me? Like, fuck this shit. Right. And, like, all my teachers covered their hair. And, like, I just, I, like, I would cry at night, like, to my to my roommate. I was like, I feel like such a shitty Jewish person. Like, right. I feel like I can't, I just... I didn't know how to like be this identity when like it made me feel like trash and like like my body was gross and I had to be covered and and right. it's like and if I rejected that notion well then like why am I allowed to reject that but like I can't reject kosher food like right, right, these right. lines are so arbitrary so arbitrary and everyone is picking and choosing yeah and oh my god this is like so TMI but like please I never masturbated my I was whole 22 life. Are you serious? I was 22. Crazy. When I met my clitoris. <gasps> I was 28. Oh my goodness. Isn't that insane? Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is why. Okay. I remember in your set, yes. you talked about sex and, and just like, like being new at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I've always felt like, I know, I, I know I'm not a freak. People like experience sexuality at like whatever point they're ready to do it. But right. I was like 24 when I had like literally every single first sexual experience wow. ever. And it w- went from like zero to a hundred, zero to whore in like right. a week. And <laughs> it's I- It's easy to do that to be honest very, when you're like older too. It's very easy to do. With someone from Toronto actually. Oh wow. Um, and I just remember- um, having such an intense insecurity before that. Like everyone else knows what to do and knows how to do it. And, but I, like they taught us it was wrong. So like I wasn't, I was abstaining right. and then just used that and like just kept pushing. Yes. Sexuality yes. was just so, also so disempowering, like separating me from my body. 100%. And like, but yeah, I cut you off in the middle of the masturbation story. No, so please no, no, continue. No. I think this is so important because I think that like, first of all, a product of growing up in such an abusive cultish household and, community but like mostly household um it makes you first of all like i you the amount of gaslighting that went on there i literally doubt my reality constant constant constantly i literally always need validation always need someone to tell me like you're not a horrible person Mm -hmm. you know constantly Mm -hmm. number two they kind of like psychologically castrate you like you truly I never saw myself as a sexual being because nobody else ever considered or saw me as a sexual being. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm very grateful for because had adults seen me as a sexual being, I don't know what kind of like harm could have happened, which is a lot of people's experience. Yeah. Right. So very lucky that I never experienced any sort of like sexual trauma or anything. But um, also like the other hand of that is like that I never saw myself ever as a sexual being. So I spent- Yeah, like you, you need to cover, make small because the yes. threat of you appearing sexual at all is like- Is too much. Is shameful. Yes, shameful. And like, 
my dad's moral system is basically like, if it makes you attractive to men, it's hot on. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, if it makes you hideous and less attractive to men, it's actually encouraged. Yeah. It's actually in the it's Quran. actually like really good. Yeah. The prophet would be like so tight with Exactly. That. He would like every winter, and I'm pretty sure this is why he chose Canada because it's freaking <laughs> freezing all the time. You always have to be covered. Like, I'm in, like, this polar bear outfit, and he's, like, perfect, stunning, <laughs> love it. And he truly would lose his shit, like, absolutely lose his mind if he ever saw me wearing heels or red lipstick. Oof. He hated it. He was like, you're intimidating, and you're scaring the men away, and whatever, whatever. Yeah. And it's because I was tall. So I'm, I'm taller than him. Oh. So he can't handle that. That's not okay. Yeah, it's literally not okay. And so... <laughs> Anyways, so they, yeah, they kind of like literally psychologically castrate you. And then, so then it creates this experience where um, I all, I'm yearning for it. I'm mm -hmm. yearning for love and I'm yearning for a relationship and a connection yeah. and intimacy. But I'm simultaneously terrified of it. And because of that, I have to keep. It at a distance and I have to live in this fantasy world yeah so oh God, I feel you I feel you so hard it's crazy so then the way it manifests is that I just have crushes literally just intense crushes. Intense, intense intense crazy intense crushes where this person consumes your life for years and years and years years and you might not even have that many interactions with them in person or at all no it's completely like you invent the reality because exactly. it's like it's it, you can't make it real exactly Another weird thing that I used to do that I finally like started to talk about because I guess like I was embarrassed of it. So I just like, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, she was embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> but it was that I would play with Barbies. I think I played with Barbies till I was like 15, 16, like till I was really old. And I would literally like coordinate and, and put together like a group orgy yeah. with the Barbies. Yeah. And I would like, there was only one male doll, like a million <laughs> no. girls. And I would like make them wear hijab and then strip down. And I would be like, oh, the hijab like enhances the strip tease. Oh my God. And I was like such a freak. But that was the only way that I could sexually express myself. Yeah. Because I never watched porn or masturbate yeah, or like, anything. You're cur like you're a human. So you're going to be curious. Like that's part. Yeah. Oh my exactly. God. Exactly. It was crazy. And then I remember like, obviously I would watch like the notebook and like that sex scene, for example. Oh my God. That was so hot. So hot. And then I twice. Twilight was massive for me in high <gasps> school. I was like, oh, I was literally like wet reading it. Yeah. And then, but then that's it. I never acted on it. And then I remember like one time, I think I like, I like touched myself down there and it felt really good, but I didn't orgasm or anything. And then a few years later, when I was like 17 or something, my, my sister and my sister-in-law were talking and they, and like, they were talking about orgasms and I was like, what's that? And they were like, oh, you know, if you like rub yourself down there, it feels really good. That's an orgasm. And then I was like, oh, I was like, I think I almost did that one time. And I was like, this is sick because it's not even haram because no one else is here. And then my sister-in-law <laughs> was like, no, actually, that's masturbation and that's haram. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much for telling me. Like, I'm never going to do it again. Thank you. Oh and then goodness. I never did. And then I like enter this relationship and like he sexually shamed me so much, even though he mm. never saw my hair. The one, the weapons? Yes. Okay. And we never did anything. But one time... He got, he bought me a necklace for my birthday and I sent him like a photo of the necklace and just my neck. And there's you like, fucking slut. Yeah. There's like <laughs> a little bit of cleavage, some hair at the back. Oh and this guy didn't talk to me for two weeks. <gasps> he was like, oh my God, we're on totally different. Pay like he was just like, I can't, I have so many feelings seeing this, like guilt, whatever, all these things. And 
he just like put all of his sexual shame onto me. Oh my God. Oh my God. He did such a number on me at the end of that relationship. He like shamed me for, I remember one time I admitted that I, he was like, what's something that we would do that would make you press the red button to escape this relationship? And I was like, I don't know, maybe if we slept together, like I wouldn't feel good about that. But like, I wouldn't leave the relationship, but like, you know, something like that. And he was like, he looked at me as if I was like the whore of darkness herself. (laughs) And then like, we break up and then and then he sends me an email. He's like, I remember one time I asked you what would make you feel so much guilt. And you said if we made out, I didn't even say if we made out. I said if if we had sex, he was like, I don't know what would happen if we made out. We weren't married, but I don't want to know. Oh, my God. And then a few months later, he hits me up and then I asked my friend. I'm like, what's going on with him? She's like, dude, forget about this guy. Like this guy is talking to some other girl, whatever they're dating. She's like, and I saw them last week in a car at a park at night making out. <gasps> and I was like, oh my God, this piece of shit. You I mean he's a hypocrite? Literally. I spent those six months in the worst mental state of my life. I was so repulsed of my body. <sighs> I started I'm like so looking sorry. at humans as if like, oh my God, they have sex. That's disgusting. And then like it got to the point where if I was like lying down on the couch and my legs were open, I would just shut them closed because I was like, I feel so gross. And then it took like a team of therapists literally to be like, you should try masturbating. And I was like, ah, I can't. And I I bought all these books and like I didn't even know where anything was. I, I didn't look down there and I like hated everything. And then it wasn't until like a month before the pandemic that I like actually finally explored and, and yeah. like, tried to masturbate. Crazy. Oh my God. I, I know. Mean, like honestly, congrats. Like thank you very much. I, I know I'm like I, I'm a, it's like a little glib, but also like huge. Yeah. <laughs> to like feel like you have permission to like be in your body. Oh my God. And then I found this. And pleasure. Oh like my you're God, allowed yeah. to experience. I still like, it's hard for me to orgasm because I'm like afraid to like, you know, like you, you have to let go. Right. And I'm just, I'm so frightened. Like the, there's, there's still shame. Right. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's crazy because, um, I, I was going to say like, first of all, yeah. Like after, when I experienced it for the first time, I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that this was like a feature in my body. And then the second thing is, I quickly later talked to like other Muslim girls and and I, I was like doing research for um I was trying to see if I was going to start a podcast and I wanted it to be about like the sex lives of Muslim women. Mm-hmm. And um I started talking to people and they that told me about- That is a show I would watch. Right? <laughs> and they told me about vaginismus, which is a very common. It's the most yeah. common in uh, Jewish women and Muslim women. Where basically- Shocker! <laughs> yeah, where basically they're- like it's it for for anyone who doesn't know it's like this physical reaction in your body where it's like quite literally impossible to enter your vagina like it feels yeah. like you're going through a brick wall um and it's all like mental and emotional yeah it's like your body tenses up in that way because of all the sexual shame or fear you have of any yeah injury. nothing can come in here nothing can come in here and we weren't allowed to wear tampons growing up because we were like oh my god it's gonna like oh my break gosh. your hymen or whatever oh my god so yeah so i had to like Buy a dilator kit and start working through it to like. Oh my god, you're to, literally like this is incredible. It's crazy. It was and it was all this is like private. Like no one knows that you're like going through this. Yeah. And then, um, and then yeah, and then I kind of I started to have all my first la- like over the last year. So like last year this time I had my first kiss. Like all all these things oh my that god. do you like? What was that like? Okay, it was in a club in Cancun. <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh and my god, beautiful. She she like came up to me and she said something in Spanish in like such a sexy way, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and then 
she's like, oh, never mind. She's like this freaking annoying ass English speaker. Huh? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> so then she was like, I want to kiss you. I was like, okay. So then she she kissed me and it was great. And then this like annoying ass guy like interrupted the kiss. And I was like, oh, this, that later became just a metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> for what truly. My, my sexual journey would be. Oh, my God. Um, But it was really great. And then I kissed like two other people, I think, that night. And then... <clears throat> Then then I lost my virginity in December and that and I remember exactly feeling like what you felt like right before it. I was like, I don't even know like how I could ever give a blowjob. I don't even know like how do people do this? How do people whatever? And, like, Literally, just, what are the mechanics? Yeah. I just don't. Oh. And you're just in here and, and not just the mechanics, just also like how can you emotionally be in a place where you yeah. ever want to do that? Yeah. Or, I don't understand it. And then. After that experience, it wasn't even like a good like experience at all. But I was like, it was nice. It was it was a nice experience. But like the sex wasn't good or anything. But I came out of it being like, I'm in the club now, bitches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> truly. It's ugh. I I and like I resent that. Like I resent that I put so much like this means so much once I cross this threshold. Right. Like and also like. So many, I, I don't know if any of your friend, like religious friends growing up kind of like secretly made out with boys. Of and like, course. Yeah, like. Of course. So it, I remember like finding out like everyone was like, man, had managed already to like hook up with guys. Oh, and I was like, what? what? Yeah. They said we're not supposed to do that. Like, where are you even doing it? Like literally where? Oh, where are you going? And how do I do it? And how come no one wants to do it with me? What is wrong with me? I remember everybody would hook up in the wheelchair bathroom at our mom's. <laughs> And if anyone comes after me for saying that, I will fucking name names. Okay. You don't think I know all the names? I think I will you do. name all the no, names. I think you do. Yeah, I know exactly who hooked up yeah. in there. Oh my god. It was crazy. Um yeah, like I think I I think my very close group of friends um no, actually that's not true. I think they definitely did. I think they for sure did and I was shocked to find that out later. And my therapist was trying to tell me that too. She was like just this concept of like really depending on um, another person to like determine what morality is mm -hmm. and what your values are. But mm -hmm. she was like, what if you find out that the imam you're, you're like going to watch this porn and masturbates to it all night. I was like, oh! I was like, I don't know. And my whole, like my Everything whole life crumbles. concept would shatter. Yeah. It's crazy. And then, yeah. and then you find out like, yeah, everyone is doing that. Everyone is a hypocrite. Everyone is picking and choosing. Yeah, and it's like, oh, sick. So I can actually just decide what my values are. Yeah. Nice. It's literally insane. But I was going to ask you because till this day, like, I don't like I don't know I like sexed with someone for the first time like last week and but till this day I it's intimacy is still so uncomfortable for me. What what do you mean by intimacy? <laughs> like <clears throat> if someone's like flirting with me um like like eye contact like looking me in the eye or like they're about to move in mm -hmm. and like kiss me or something like there's a a massive part of me that just wants to be like like start laughing. Yeah. And just be like, mm, can you believe this guy? He's serious. You know, like yeah. it's it's takes everything out of me to not turn it into a mockery because yeah. it's just so uncomfortable, like allowing that tension and to, to like be true. Exactly. Like, are and you trying to make out with me right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, literally. Are you a dork? <laughs> and, it's literally, like, no. and I was it's like, no, actually, I'm hot. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was telling my therapist, I was saying the least that the position where a man is the least attractive to me is when he's kissing me because I'm like I'm like okay I thought I thought you were I'm really into like these power dynamics which comes from like creating that distance when when you're younger and mm -hmm. whatever I'm really into like 
there being a distance between us because that means you're better than me and you're hard to get and you're really hot. But then the second you kiss me, you're now vulnerable and we're now at the same level and that's gross and you're not attractive anymore. It's such a mind fuck. It's crazy. It's wild. I don't know like any way around it except like literally forcing myself to go through it's like it. practice yeah it's literally that's it which is which is weird and so vulnerable <laughs> like you mean i gotta get naked with people like I over know. and over again to like get used to this i know this shit sucks I or know. it's awesome i don't know it's it's so it's so much it's, it's so lot. much to like to not have had to not have felt like I had permission to just experiment and be clumsy. Exactly. Like now I'm like, well, now I'm an, I'm an adult and I can like read and write and like, you know, think sophisticated ideas. But like in this realm, I still kind of feel like an adolescent, like right. trying things for the first time. And it, it's just so, it's so strange. Right. Even like, oh my gosh, I, I've like started to discover, uh, I had like this one, like my first, I guess, like one night stand. I've literally only had like a handful of sexual experiences, but like, this one dude, he was, like, such an asshole, and he had, like, literally the biggest dick I've ever seen in my life. I'd only seen four at that point, but it was, like, literally this big, <laughs> like a forearm, and I was, like, I just, yeah, I'm, like, where's that gonna go? Where, where is that gonna in go? In me? I was, like, this is, I haven't reached that level of the no. dilator kit yet. No, you know no, what I no. mean? <laughs> this is crazy. You gotta work up to that for at least three years. Exactly, and then he was so selfish, so he didn't, like, do anything to, like, Ugh, loosen you up or, like, gross. anything like that. Anyways... I um I just stopped it like after some time I was like I'm not into this anymore like and I just remember my friend like telling me you could say no at any point you don't have to like whatever go through with it and stuff yeah that's a lesson I'm still like metabolizing yeah it's it's hard to like actually do it because you're like oh I'm already here but then for me it's like when I'm not into it and I'm in my head I'm just like okay and and also he had hurt me and I was like nothing's getting in no. there for like a week you know no. what I mean yeah. so yeah. no and then um but anyways uh. I'm trying to remember why I like brought this up. We were talking about um about like intimacy and like yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um oh my gosh, I don't even remember. What okay. If if it comes yeah. back to you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um are you are you like open to like the the all of the the gender spectrum? Yes. Like it was it was that I don't know, like questioning that has that been yeah, part of your I actually found it easier to start with women mm -hmm. because I found them to be um safer. And, <laughs> they are, statistically yeah, they, they, they are. can't kill you. Yeah. So that's a good start. Yeah, that's um, a really good start. <laughs> and they so sad, but they they and then they're also less intimidating because like I have the same body as you. So there's no surprises there, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I mean, obviously our bodies are different, but like you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I started with that, but the only two experiences I've had with women, I felt like or, or I guess like there have been more, but like the significant ones um i felt like they one of them was really fucking annoying and she was like like almost fetishizing me which was mm. really weird so i didn't like that but then another one which was kind of like my first ever sexual experience um she was just like she had like in insane internalized homophobia not even internal mm. it was external also yeah and she just wanted to pretend it didn't happen. And she just handled it really poorly, really toxically. Oh, man. And actually, interestingly enough, we never talked about it. And our relationship kind of fell apart after that. Not because of that reason, but I'm sure that had something to do with it. Yeah. And then she, like, messaged me, like, a month or two ago. And she was like, hey, I never told anyone about that night, like, when we got frisky this is her actual word oh, man. and she's like but i told this guy that i've been seeing now for a couple of months 
and he thought it was really cool. So now I'm cool with it. I was, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? fuck that. Fuck oh my God. That. I didn't answer. I was yeah. so upset. No. I was so upset. Like, yeah, it's, it's really crazy. But, um, yeah. So, so for me, like, I don't know when people ask me, like, what's your sexual orientation? I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of undecided. I'm yeah, still. I just say hot people. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, I. Oh, I just I have so much like I have so much admiration and like respect for you and like you're now like I, I don't know. Okay, I think it's a little annoying sometimes when people are like, "Oh my god, you just stand up. That's so brave." And I'm like, right. "Really? Really? I just get up in front of like a bunch of dudes and just like talk shit into a microphone? Like, there's people like fighting real fights, right? right. But but then uh, another part of me is like, oh, I guess some people are like afraid to say what's on their mind mm-hmm. and like that practice of like, no, I'm gonna actually just take up space right now, right? Um, and actually keep doing that is like pretty cool, right? Right. And I'm yeah, I'm curious what you like, what your experience of stand up comedy is like, and performing and just kind of like I don't know didn't you just open for Chelsea Handler like you crushing dude like oh my god well first of all I'm really grateful like I think that back to by the way I remembered when I wanted to say oh great that dude but we can get back to after this but um yeah like for me I think um I I just like I love storytelling I love um like I love self I love self-deprecating growing up because I felt like that really made me very um like digestible especially to girls I felt like girls were really intimidated by me in like high school just because I was a very high achiever and super smart and like you know whatever like top of the class and Mm -hmm. stuff um so then I would so then I think they were always like scared of me or intimidated by me and then immediately I would self-deprecate to the point where I would just like literally destroy myself in front of them it's a it's a very like sophisticated sort of power move yes it is it's manipulative Mm -hmm. And then they were, and then they would be like, okay, she's not a threat, as in she's not gonna mm-hmm. take my man. Mm-hmm. And so we're good. And then eventually, like, yeah, I was like, okay, this is how I can be endearing to people is like putting myself down. And then eventually, after like a long time, I was like, this doesn't feel good anymore. And also, I was doing it in as a protective mechanism against my brother in law. It was mm-hmm. like, instead of you shitting on me, I'll shit on myself first, first. so that you don't, you can't, yep. you don't have that power. Totally. Um, so that was like, something that I, I guess like started to change for me, but, but the element of like storytelling in order to feel some control over my life that I have no control over that always like stayed with me and always made me feel better. It made me feel like I was like expressing myself and all that. So for me, like that's what stand up is. It's just an extension of that. It's like me being able to tell stories and me being able to like Tell my story, really. Like, I don't know if that's a, a selfish motive to have, but like, you know, I was never heard ever m- at all in my life growing up. My yeah. my family never took me seriously, never listened to me. I think it was actually like my sister after she got reconciled into the family who she entered the family um, back on like a footing where we had to become friends. Like mm. she didn't feel any entitlement to my sisterhood. She felt like she had to earn, earn it through it. a friendship. Mm. And so that was the first friendship I ever formed in the family. And aside from my brother, that's like right older than me. And we're still trying to kind of turn that into a friendship and where it's not just me like being bossy, for mm-hmm. example, and being controlling. Um, <clears throat> but basically, and she was the first person in my family to like not reprimand me. And so I took like a liking to her and w- we got close and stuff that way. But she had to like go tell my other siblings and be like, did you guys know Senma's funny? Like, she's actually really funny. Like, listen to her. And then 
in dinners, they would start listening to me. We would have family dinner like every week. They would finally start to like listen to me and they would be like, oh, she's actually really funny. And like, you know what I mean? And it, that wasn't until like in my late adult life. So and even and then after I started comedy, they were like excited for it, but very scared of it still. Mm -hmm. And then when they saw how the entire community reacted and, you know, how they almost talk about me as if I'm like a celebrity. Um, now my siblings are like all of a sudden like very much on board and they're like you know I knew Sanima was like this ever since she was little like you know they're like giving interviews for me basically yeah. and I'm like you guys never fucking listened to you me you never listened literally so in a way like and then after going through like for example that Sephora man experience <clears throat> I was like everyone in my family was confused why I wasn't down and I was like okay so if there's, like, 25 members of my family and I'm the only crazy one, like, am I the crazy one? Like, am I right? Am yeah. I wrong? And then you go out into the real world and you tell people these stories and they're like, dude, that's fucking insane. Like, you're you're amazing. Like, how did you get it? And then you get, like, addicted to that. You're like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, I need to constantly be validated because all that gaslighting, like, makes me, you know, second guess kind yeah. of who I am. So I think a big part of it is that. And But for me, like... The biggest part of it is, like, I felt so alone in those experiences. Like, I was like, it's just me. I'm not meant to find a partner that I like. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, everybody that's meant for other people. Yeah. And, oh, dude, you know, same. like, so so for me now, when I tell my story and the amount of, like, Muslim girls that come up to me and they're like, oh, my God, like, I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm experiencing the same thing. And I thought it was only me and whatever. Like, that must be huge. Yeah. It's everything to me. Before my intention was like, I want to make Muslims like palatable to like mainstream people. Now I'm like, ah, oh, fuck you guys. Yeah. Who, like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's actually never been about that. Yeah. Now it's like, I actually want Muslim girls who are going through this right now to feel seen. Yeah. It's a very human. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being seen. Definitely. Oh, that's so. I don't know. There's like so much emotional integrity in that that I love. Aww. I just love that. Like, that's so. I don't know. It reads. It reads on stage. You're like such a authentic performer. Ugh, what does that even mean? But like, you you know, you, you're an extremely like charismatic person and it doesn't feel like you're turning something on. I don't, you right. know, I, I don't know you very well, but like, right. I, it, that, that, that reads. Wow. That reads on stage. Well, that means so much coming from you. Cause oh like I God. saw you on stage and I was like, <gasps> I, literally I saw you perform and I was like, it was one of those performances where it's like, this city's too much for me. Like everyone is so fucking talented here <laughs> and I will never amount to that. You know what I mean? Oh That's like God. literally what was going on That's in my mind insane. watching you. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I need to talk to your mom. I need to tell her oh this immediately. <laughs> Every time I tell her I did a show, she's like, oh, did, um, did, did the people laugh? <laughs> Stop. Every single time. <laughs> and I'm at this point, I'm like, I don't know if you're messing with me. Like, I just don't even. <laughs> oh my God. I just can't like, I, I, it has to like just roll off. Like, you know, yeah. like, just bounce off. Um, it's <laughs> How do you feel about um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Have you watched um, it? I watched most of the first season. Okay. I think it's a really like fun, like Amy Sherman Palladino, like, bah, 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 like really fast talking and right. um, really like candy to look at. Right. But um, in terms of it being about stand up, I'm like, oh, I want more process. Yes. Like, I don't care that she just gets up and kills. I'm like, oh, right, how are you right, writing right. these jokes? Also, and I know like there are bigger fish to fry in the world, but I'm noticing a pattern of like strong female Jewish characters being played by 
non-Jewish non-Jews. women. And I'm like, right. could you not find a Jew, a Jewish woman in Hollywood? <laughs> like right. it's 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 strange to me. Right. So I'm like, what are what is the point of this story? It, like it doesn't feel like it's a story about Jewish womanhood. Right, right. So what is this? Right. It's just this sort of like contrived story about Jewish women taking up space, being like Joan Rivers. Like right. who get who what? Right. It just doesn't feel it doesn't feel real. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I would be like upset if if that role was if it was like a Muslim a story about a Muslim woman and it wasn't being played by a Muslim woman. I'd be like, okay, there's already it's already so fucking hard to like get those roles anyway. Yeah, there's a I don't know. It just it's sort of like a it's a subtle thing that I just sort of keep noticing. And again, like I move through the world with an insane amount of privilege. So like this is not the hill I'm going to die on. Right, right, right. But even like there's a there's a comedian like around our age who's just like in um, this movie Shiva Baby and this other movie. And I'm just like, you just like a you grew up Catholic, like just because we're right. from two cultures of guilt. Like right. and you have brown curly hair. Like, I don't know. It's just it's strange. I'm like, what is this? Whose story is like, who's this for? What right. story is this? So I don't really see myself in like Mrs. Maisel. Like, gotcha. I don't know. Right. It just sort of feels like I don't feel like I relate to a lot of like portrayals of Jewish people in gotcha. like media or. Right, right, right. No. Yeah. I mean, there's still such a long way to go for representation in in all of its nuance. Right. Yeah. Like even even like me, like I'm I'm working on something right now about my family and about my life and everything and they're just kind of like everyone's so nervous like well we don't want this to make Muslims look bad and I'm yeah. like okay but do you want the full story like you need to get the nuance and yeah. and like everyone in my story is Muslim so you can see the wide range of like beliefs and just reasonability you know what I mean yeah sometimes I want to like tell jokes about like my community or my family and I'm like oh does this come off anti-Semitic and I'm just yeah. like no there's some Jewish assholes because right, there's right, assholes right. everywhere and there's exactly. also really nice people everywhere exactly exactly um, but yeah. I can't not. And it's like white people would never like like they would never have to deal with that. Like, oh, um, this is going to make someone look bad. No, they don't have to care about, you know, carrying that whole burden or that, you know, representation yeah. burden. Or and I just feel like I have enough privilege that I can afford to, like, take some shits on like right. like the the, you know, some of the people who look like me who like I just maybe whose values I don't respect. And right, I'm like, right, yeah, right. this is this is not going to set you back. You're still the executive whatever of J.P. Morgan Chase. So right, right, right. you still are literally a Jewish banker who owns most of the real estate in New York. Like you right. are you sort of are the villain that they like paint out so I, I'm gonna and you're fine you're right. fine you're not gonna lose your livelihood you're not gonna I'm not I'm not like changing I don't think like the, the moving the needle on like anti-semitism like right. there's anti-semitism because there's anti-everything like right. there are hateful people I used to be extremely hateful like that's how I was that's like Same. how I was raised Same. to be yeah so so hateful oh my god you know I was remembering when you were talking about <clears throat> the prayer about like that men say, thankfully, I'm not mm-hmm. a woman or whatever. And how the guy said, I'm not going to say that prayer anymore. Yeah, I just want to say, by the way, yeah. if you are a person who says, um, uh, sh- sh- uh, Isha, like you can go and fucking die. <laughs> like, and I'm sure I'm probably talking to like some of my, some of my best friends, but literally stop saying that. Okay. Anyway, sorry, Salma, what were you saying? No, no, I was saying that, um, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, that there was a similar prayer growing up. It's not, it's not like a regular prayer or anything, but there is like a point where if in Ramadan, when we're praying Tarawih, which is like the congregational prayer um, <clears throat> after like dark or even our Friday prayers, 
at the end, the imam will get up and kind of go on like a prayer spree. And we just say, amen, amen, mm-hmm, amen mm-hmm. behind him. And we'll, I mean, in Arabic. Yeah. And then, so like, they'll go like, oh, may God, like whatever, strengthen the Muslims, unite us, blah, blah, blah. blah. And like, they'll say like, uh, like they'll say something like whatever, free pause and this and that. And then they'll be like, and destroy all the houses of the Jews. And I'm like, what the fuck? Wait, wait, um, <laughs> hey, can we just check in a second? And then at that point, like, me and all my friends will be like, eh, mm, like we uh, won't say I mean for those parts, <laughs> literally. But like, it's no one called it out for a long time, at least growing up. And then, like, recently, like, people, I started to be like, guys, I'm not going to mean that prayer. Like, why are we, like, praying for the destruction of, like, a whole community? And the anti-Semitism in the Muslim community that's, like, found its way into the religion is insane. Um, But, yeah, but, like, no one has these conversations or no one really wants to talk about it because then it's like, well, then we're always on this, um, like, mission of, like, trying not to get more uh, gain more Islamophobia or like make people more scared of Islam or whatever yeah so but I honestly think there's equality in calling out assholes in every religion yeah because I'm like there's villains everywhere literally like there's it's just if you're peddling hatred I don't respect you I don't care like which prophet it is that you ascribe to um right. that's shitty yeah um right like I yeah I'm still kind of I feel like I've just sort of crossed the threshold. Like I was raised with like militant Zionism. Right. Like brother served in the IDF voluntarily. We're like from New Jersey. So that was wild. Um, Right. And was like truly taught like "Eh, Palestinians, like not even really like a real identity. Like really they're they're Arabs from Egypt and from Saudi Arabia and from Lebanon who actually just like whatever, just so much like blatant erasure and like uh, just like they're not real. Right, right. I'm just like, you. this is not, this has no legs. Right. This ideology has no legs. Like, you're going to have to have a more compelling thing. You can't just be like, they hate Jews. And like, uh, oh, you mean because we literally kicked them out? Right. Huh? Did you think I wasn't going to like do the research and find out what happened? Like, right, right, right. you can't, this, our, our, the whole, the, the, the nationhood can't be built on like the expulsion of someone else. And right. like the just erasure and diminishment of another Oh my god! Right. And then it's like, okay, you're telling me that like Hamas is like destroy the Jews? Like, well, yeah. Why? Why would they not? Why would that not be part of their like part of their vibe? Right, right, right. Uh, it just the uh, the like equivocating about like hate. You know who's allowed to be hateful and like well who started? It's like oh my god, it's it's crazy. But even like even like you U.S. military is kind of like that too, right? Like oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, one of the biggest culture shocks for me moving here was how like everybody basically is like in the army or has some sort of some family member or someone in the army. So there's like a strong emotional connection to it. And uh, they're like support the troops. I'm like, to do what? Uh, Go and like destroy our countries? Like I'm so confused. You know, like we're a big fat bully. Literally like and like terrorism, that word, it's just it's literally subjective how you look at it. Like if you go to the countries that America attacks, America's yeah. the terrorist. Yeah. You know? No, it's all it's all like so relative. And I just yeah, so much of what you said, I feel like I don't know. I feel like similar like going through some like living your life and then sort of experiencing this like col- this like betrayal. Right. Love like, oh my God, wait a second. Like like you're waking up to like truth and being like, Oh my God, you thought I was just gonna continue eating this shit up? Yeah, like Yeah. Exactly. You thought I was stupid? Like, come on. Exactly. There's this verse in the Quran that says, um, stand up 
for justice, even if against even if it's against your own family and if it's against your own self. And like, I love that verse so much because I'm like, I'm like, you guys don't even see it. Like, and that's what I'm standing up for. Like, ultimately, it's justice. And towards towards even me, like towards the fact that I am a human being who's worthy of rights and respect. It doesn't matter if I'm not married. It doesn't matter if I'm not a man. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Anyways, yeah, that I I like that verse because you could just use it against them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's the best. (laughs) That is the best. Yeah. Damn. But um oh yes, I remember when I was the saying guy. about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying that um a big part of like this sexual shame and like shrinking yourself and whatever is that for example like even women who like scream during their orgasms and stuff, I'm like like I I I feel like I have to kind of like still silence myself or like shrink myself. And then in those experiences what like it's kind of um, like when you shrink yourself and you're not actually expressing yourself like in a sexual experience or in an environment, it it kind of like um, not that it like discourages the other person, but it doesn't definitely doesn't encourage them. You know yeah. what I mean? And then it like causes this like cycle where it's like not picking up or whatever. And then the opposite is true. So, yeah, when like, for example, like one of my friends like I scream so loud, I like wake up the neighbors, this and that. I'm like, oh, my God. I wish I could give myself permission to do that, you yeah, know? Yeah, It's like, just like taking up space in just like a normal context is already kind of like, can be hard for yeah. someone like when you're raised in like a very intense kind of patriarchy. Uh, and then, yeah, then like the whole, adding the whole sexual element to it is exactly. like, oh my God. It's like, yeah, it's also, it's like, it's primal and it's like wild and wild is not like, I think we were probably both raised like wild is like wicked. Right. And it's like, no. Yeah. Wild's wild's organic, like wild's natural. What are you talking about? Exactly. It's just how, how it is. I actually went to see this um, healer in LA uh, in April and she, get this, is an ex-IDF soldier. Wow. But she also stepped away from everything. And this woman is like, a psychic healer like she wow. is crazy um and she like i did four sessions with her i was obsessed with her in like the week i was there oh and she like she she basically she's a somatic therapist so she like mm-hmm. helps you figure out like where in your body you're holding tension yeah. and she like helps you release that I love this shit it's crazy okay so like the first yeah the first session we had she like she like presses into my jaw and it literally feels like a truck is driving into my face. Oh my God. And she was just like, um, I'm not going to let go until you tell me like what emotion or what thought comes up that makes you tense your body up in this way. And like, I started crying and I was like, I don't know. I see my mom turning away. Like, I feel like I, I abandoned my family. I left them behind. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'm crying. And she's like helping me breathe through it and let it out. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of my face was like, <clears throat> The other jaw was like me saying, I feel like life happens to other people, but not me, you know, like with boyfriends or relationships yeah. or whatever. And she was like, oh, my God, this is such a strong belief for you. It's like a conviction. And she's like, like helping me breathe through it. And I'm like crying. And anyways, we let all of it out. At the end of the session, I'm like literally just dead. And um, and then, yeah, it was just, it was like a crazy session. It was such a great experience and just such intimate moments I had with her. But then. At the end of the session, she, uh, this her next client is is there, and then I wanted to go use the bathroom, so I like her, we were walking past each other in the hallway, so I like moved to the side to like go to the bathroom, and then she comes to me and she's like, "I 
want you to bump into people. I want you, I, I want you to hit them. I want mm-hmm. you to whatever. I was like, I was like, oh, you want me to take up space? Yeah. I was like, no, no, no. I, I like literally grew up being told to just be the opposite. Yeah, like a, I bump into a wall and I apologize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, this is to stop. Exactly. So now sometimes I catch myself like a couple of times of like like people have grazed my shoulder or hit me and whatever, and I'm like. Sick. I took up space. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. Exactly. I get like such a rush out of it. Yeah. It's like when someone gentle can reframe something so profound mm. that is like so mundane, but like you don't even realize how like deep it is in your in your physical body. Oh, that changes everything. It's crazy. She told me she was like, she was like, you hold your breath a lot. Mm. And then I was like, yeah, actually, I started doing it when I took my hijab off because of all the anxiety I was feeling, like I just felt like I was bracing myself constantly. Like, who's going to see me? Who's going to say something? Yeah. Yeah. And then she was like, <clears throat> she's like, every breath is an investment in life. And every time you choose to withhold your breath, you're choosing to withhold from life. Mm. And like my body literally oh my God, just got all these goosebumps. And then we go on and we do that whole jaw thing and I'm like destroyed. And then yeah. like, I felt like I had smoked like 10 joints afterwards. Like you're so grounded. And then we had like a downbeat and she looks me in the eye and she's like, and by the way, you have the biggest appetite for life than most people have met. And I was like, oh, it was just so intimate. You know, it was crazy. I I, I want to like affirm that. I think that that also translates like you are so vivacious and like I you know and like I see that as someone who doesn't like who didn't do the the jaw thing with you right 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 but like and I like I want to be more like I want to be like that because I'm like I I think I have that appetite too and I just need to like let it be like let it exist like yeah go eat up do everything you want to do and it's crazy because like life experiences is exactly what my parents don't want me to have that's what that's the agenda like to stop muslim women from experiencing yeah. is literally life experiences because then that means like the more you know the less control people have over you the more you're your own self yeah. and all of that but oh my god after moving here for example that was like a massive life experience for me that was so scary and yeah and I, I like didn't know I, I was like so sad and i was like oh my god how am i gonna do this and I just moved like an hour away and literally everyone speaks English here. Like it's not like I'm moving to like another country or that doesn't. But But also like to to move to New York from somewhere else. I'm lucky like I grew up very close by here. So like I've never had to experience like a culture adjustment. I can't freaking imagine like coming here and being like, oh, we just live in trash and everyone's kind of rude. And rats are everywhere. Rats. We just live with rats. Cockroaches. That one was a big one for me. Yeah. They gross. (laughs) It's gross here. It's filthy. It is filthy. Literally. But after love it. But after moving, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is like uh like I didn't even realize this was like a feature of life yeah. that you could just do, you know? Anyways, all that to say, go and get life experiences. Yes. Absolutely. Go and live your life. Hold on. Connor was just t- talking to us. What's up? Oh. Oh, great. We will we'll we'll wrap it up. We will wrap it we'll up. We'll wrap it up. Okay, Salma, this has been the greatest conversation. This I'm is so, so grateful. Fun. I, I thank you so much for coming to do this. I'm still taking in all of these these lights and this energy. Hell yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, uh, at Salma.hindi. 
And then my website, salmahindi.com. I have an album out. You can, Ooh. Yeah, you can find it wherever you Hell find yeah. albums. Ooh, I can't wait to listen. It's called Born on 9-11. Oh, my God. I'm going to love And then you had your 9-11 jokes, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> you know I love 9-11. <laughs> Um, okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Okay. Bye everyone.